Colossians 4, 7 through 18. Tychicus will tell you all about my activities. He is a beloved brother and faithful minister and fellow servant in the Lord. I have sent him to you for this very purpose, that you may know how we are and that he may encourage your hearts. And with him, Onesimus, our faithful and beloved brother, who is one of you. They will tell you of everything that has taken place here. Aristarchus, my fellow prisoner, greets you, and Mark, the cousin of Barnabas, concerning whom you have received instructions. If he comes to you, welcome him. And Jesus, who is called Justice. These are the only men of the circumcision among my fellow co-workers for the kingdom of God, and they have been a comfort to me. Epaphras, who is one of you, a servant of Christ Jesus, greets you, always struggling on your behalf in his prayers, that you may stand mature and fully assured in all the will of God. For I bear him witness that he has worked hard for you and for those in Laodicea and in Hierapolis. Luke, the beloved physician, greets you, as does Demas. Give my greetings to the brothers at Laodicea and to Nympha and the church in her house. And when this letter has been read among you, have it also read in the church of the Laodiceans, and see to it that you read the letter from Laodicea. And say to Archippus, see that you fulfill the ministry that you have received in the Lord. I, Paul, write this greeting with my own hand. Remember my chains. Grace be with you. Let's look to the Lord in prayer. Oh God, we thank you for your word. We thank you that you have spoken to us through it. We thank you that in these last days you have spoken to us by your son who came and lived and died and rose again and ascended and is coming again. We're gathered here this morning because of him and for him. And so would you help us now as we look into your word and consider these servants of Christ whose names show up at the end, uh, that you'd meet with us. You'd continue to meet with us as we gather to hear from you and to respond to you. Would you help us to believe what you would have us believe, to feel what you would have us feel and to do what you would have us do. Would you do this by the power of your Holy Spirit? We ask in Jesus' name, amen. As Richie mentioned a moment ago, this is our last sermon in our Colossians series. For many of you, this is your first sermon in our Colossians series, and we're so glad that you're here to witness um, baptisms today. We're glad that you have joined with us to worship the Lord uh, for many of you coming as brothers and sisters in Christ, not only to uh, observe baptism, but also to worship our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And so I want to give a quick recap, which I would have done whether uh, you're here as a guest or not today, just to help kind of orient us uh, to these last words of Paul's letter to the Colossians. So what's going on in the book of Colossians? Well, Paul is eager for the Colossians and for us not to be drawn away by any spiritual practice or program for spiritual growth or attainment that would move us away from Christ. There were false teachers coming into Colossae and trying to convince the people there that they 
had Christ, but that wasn't really what they needed if they really wanted to be spiritual. If they really wanted to grow, they needed something different, something deeper, something better. And we have voices that tell us the same kinds of things today. Paul wants them and us to stay grounded on the solid foundation of the good news about Jesus. Because as has been the title for our sermon series, Christ is all. He's the creator, the sustainer of everything. He is God in the flesh. He is first in everything. And what did he do with all that power and position being preeminent? He used it to come down to earth, to be born as a baby, to become one of us, like us in every way except for sin, to live the perfect life that we were supposed to live, but none of us has, and then to die a bloody, sacrificial, atoning death on a cross, taking our own sins in his body on that tree so that we might live to him. But he didn't only die, right? On the third day, he rose again, showing his power over sin and death and Satan and any other power, so that now he is able to guarantee life both now and forever for everyone who believes in him. That's the good news of the gospel, and it is all over Colossians. We're reminded that we get in As Christians, how do you become a Christian? Through Christ. It's him. It's his work. We are united to him by faith. We died with him, and we have been raised with him, and so we live in him. We don't have a different way now that we believe in him and belong to him. He is the way. Any growth in spirituality, any spiritual attainment happens through him. So we must be rooted and grounded in him. Celebrating days or different rituals are fine, but they're a shadow that points to the substance who is Christ. And that's why we don't have to fight about them. We can be free in Christ as we are seeking to honor the Lord because he is the substance. We hold on to him. He's the head that nourishes the body so it grows. And then when Christ, who is our life, appears, we will appear with him in glory. We, by his grace, will be like him when we see him as he is. So, because that's all true, we've died with him, we've been raised with him, we will appear with him. We, by his grace and the power of his spirit, put off the old self, the old us, the things that only have to do with an earthbound way of living, like sexual immorality and covetousness, anger, wrath, slander, lying. Instead, we put on the new self, renewed in knowledge after the image of our creator, of Jesus Christ, our Savior, because in him we are all one. We are all the same, no matter where we're from, No matter what our title is, what our net worth is, Christ is all and in all. And so we live the values of that heavenly kingdom now. Kindness, humility, gentleness, patience, forgiveness, in a word, love. That's what binds everything together 
in perfect harmony. And as the word of Christ dwells richly in us, we thank God for the salvation that we have through Christ. And as those who belong to him now, we want to do everything, whatever we do in word or deed, to do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, giving thanks to God the Father through him. We do everything with and for Christ. Everything. That includes how we relate to each other at home, where sometimes it's the hardest to live like Christ. Your church is easy, right? Come in, smile, sing. Oh, we're praying, okay, bow my head. Yep, oh, we're standing, sitting. It's like, yep, we're all good at that, right? It's easy to be a Christian at church. Feels like everyone around you believes. It's easier to believe, which is one of the reasons that we gather. But it's harder when we get home and when they do it again. If those kids would just obey, I would not have an anger problem. You think that though, right? Sometimes we even say it out loud and then we stop ourselves because we know it's so false. (laughs) But there are lies that we want to believe that make ourselves look better like we got ourselves in. Like we make ourselves right with God. But having him, believing in him, belonging to him, we want now. Our desires are changed. We want to live for him, both at home, at work, on our block. We do it all with and for Christ. And we want others to know him too. That's what Paul's ministry was all about. That's what he asks them to pray for in the first part of chapter 4. And then for all of us to be aware. We know people who do not yet know the joy of knowing Christ, of trusting in Christ, of belonging to Christ, and we want them to know him too. So there's that. That's what's going on in Colossians. Today might seem like the kind of text where it's like, how are you going to get a sermon out of that? Did you pay attention during the reading? When we have these final greetings, and these, this is actually one of Paul's shorter letters and one of his longer greeting sections. The only one longer is in Romans, which is also a much longer letter. And these greetings, sometimes, you know, if you're reading the Bible through in a year and you're doing three chapters in a day and you get to the end of a chapter like this, it's like, da 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 I don't even know how to pronounce these names, right? It's just syllables. They don't mean much to me. It's, oh, grace to you. Okay, that's the end, right? Okay, next one. Oh, 1 Thessalonians. Well, this one's going to be good. Right? We've all, we've all done that at some point in our reading of the Bible, right? And there's a temptation even to, to skip them now. It's like, well, we did the recap. That's the important stuff. That's the real stuff. And this is just kind of like the other stuff. You know, he was writing a letter, and so there it was. You know, I close letters too, but no one's going to read them one day. And do we really write letters anymore? But we're tempted to skip. Some of us do, yes. We're tempted to skip over them because it's not the main thing that the letter's about. And that's true. But there are lessons about our life in Christ, which is what this second half of Colossians has been about. 
even in these final words of the letter that mostly seem like a bunch of names we don't know. In these names and what we're told about them, we're reminded that we need each other if we're going to live for Christ. And that failure and sin does not have to be the final word over our life in and for Christ. And so the big idea this morning is this. From these last words of Paul in Colossians, as we live for Christ, interdependence is essential and failure is not final. So that's going to be up there for the rest of the sermon. So for the kids who are trying to copy down the big idea and where you're going to get it fast, you need to get it fast and maybe you'll misspell interdependence because you've never heard anyone say that word before. That's totally fine. So you can write it in the big idea if you want. You can write it in words I didn't know before and hopefully it'll be a word that makes a whole lot of sense to you by the time that we are done. Interdependence is essential and failure is not final. So, interdependence is essential. What does that mean? And how do we make that claim from these verses? Well, sometimes we think, at least I'm tempted to think about the Apostle Paul as this guy who like, was way different than us and way better than us. And I'm sure in, in many ways that's actually true. Um, but we can put him in like this different category. He's this super Christian, this super saint. I mean, he wrote part of the Bible. None of us are going to do that. If you think you're going to, you're really not, okay? So we're not the same, and yet we are the same. Paul did not do his ministry in his own strength. Right back earlier in this letter, he says, I work with all his strength that he powerfully works in me. So he relied on Christ for strength, the Holy Spirit for strength. But just a few verses before our passage for today, he said, please pray for us that there'd be a door that was opened for the word. He knew that all his work would be nothing without the Lord doing it. And one of the ways to seek the Lord doing that work was through the prayers of other people. So here's this church. They're in important ways going astray. They're tempted to throw off the gospel, get rid of Christ. Well, I mean, he's still around, but here's the good stuff. Right? It's like, that's a church that needs a rebuke. They need a letter like this. Tell them, hey, get back in line, follow Jesus. And we might think like, okay, good. They need that rebuke. Let's give it to them. And if that was a situation for me, where I was working with someone like that, my first thought wouldn't be, oh, and I also need help from them. Does that kind of make sense? Like the people in your life, they're struggling, they need help, I got to help them. I help them. That is our relationship. That's how it works. But the people that Paul's writing to help and even correct, they're in danger of shifting from the hope of the gospel he says, hey, pray for us. We need your participation in our ministry. So it's not Paul doing this ministry all by himself. You know, for Jesus, braving storms, preaching boldly, enduring prison and stonings and all the rest, all by himself. Or even just, well, he had the Lord's help, of course. 
Passages like this one remind us that Paul did not do his ministry, even when he was in prison in Rome, he didn't do his ministry by himself. This is a pretty long list. And we know next to nothing about most of these people. And that's kind of the point. If we were writing a letter from our church, right, to someone else, we said, okay, who all wants to send greetings today? It's like, okay, I'm going to send the greetings. Yes, Kaylee wants to send greetings. You didn't have to raise your hands, but thank you. Right, it's like, put my name in there. I want to be in the Bible. I don't know if it was quite that. But they, they wanted other people to know, like, hey, I'm here. I'm part of this. Yes, I send my greetings to them. Right, and maybe even that other church wouldn't know all the names of everyone we send a letter to, right? If we send greetings to our friends in the Dominican Republic that we pray for regularly, you know, send them greetings. It's like, okay, there's some people they definitely want to hear from, especially who've already gone down and visit them. They want greetings from them. But if there's others say, okay, I want to be part of this too. Yeah, we pray for them. We support them. We're together. They don't know all our names. And really, there's not very many people outside of our church who would know any of our names in any way as far as being important, right? Where we go, oh, Paul and Timothy, like I know those names. But that's part of the point. Whether we feel like what we're doing is important, we're the Apostle Paul writing the Bible, which again, none of us are in that role, or whether we feel like I'm just part of the team. We're not even going to list what you do or what your role is. We don't know what most of these people did on the team, but we know that they served. We know that they loved. We know that they prayed we know that they cared. So it reminds us that following Jesus is intensely personal. And today you're going to see seven people stand up here and say, I believe in Jesus. I belong to Jesus. I want to live for Jesus. And that is something that you have to decide for yourself, that you need God's work on you individually, right? God doesn't save your parents and then you automatically, or your spouse, and then you automatically. That's not how that works. You need to believe. And as intensely personal as it is, following Jesus is not a solo project. We don't do this on our own. It takes a team. In our context, it takes the church. So let's kind of run quickly through here and see some of the categories. So the first category is fellow workers. That's in verses seven to nine. So there's Tychicus and Onesimus. And we'll hear more about Onesimus next month. That's, so there's open invitation if you wanna come back on Sanctity of Human Life Sunday, January 21st, you'll hear about Onesimus. Uh, if you're regularly here, you know, just be here anyway. It says, Tychicus will tell you all about my activities. And how does he describe him? He's a beloved brother, faithful minister, fellow servant in the Lord. This is why I've sent him to you. And Tychicus was carrying letters for a few different places and a few different people. He's his official courier. They didn't have um, the postal service back then. There was no UPS. There was no Amazon taking that over for themselves. You had to do it for yourself. You had to have some, either you took the letter, which is like, why take a letter, just go and talk to them, or you, if you couldn't go, you sent it with someone you trusted to make it there and deliver the news and to kind of fill in the blanks. There's a few blanks, even in this one. Archippus, in verse 17, see that you fulfill the ministry you've received in the Lord. What ministry was that? I don't know. And neither does anyone else. And any scholars that try to 
say they know. They're just making stuff up, okay? It's speculation because there's nothing else about his ministry or what that could have looked like. We just know he was supposed to pay attention to it because he'd received it in the Lord. So we have the letter carriers who are Tychicus and Onesimus. Tychicus also delivered the letters to the Ephesians and the letter to Philemon. Most likely he delivered them all on this same trip. And they would also, yep, fill in the blanks, tell them, here's how they're doing, right? There's not a whole lot here about how Paul's doing other than that he's in prison. And so they're going to tell the friends there in Colossae, the church there, how they're doing, how the ministry's going, how the Lord is working. So there are the letter carriers, and then there are the ones who are remaining with Paul, fellow workers. And that starts in verse 10 and goes up through verse 14. So you have Aristarchus, you have Mark, you have Jesus, who's called Justice. We don't know anything about him other than just being a name in a list here. Those are all Jews. That's the idea there in verse 11, the only men of the circumcision among my fellow workers. So they're all Jewish Christians who are serving with Paul, and they're the only Jewish Christians who are with him on his team at this time. So they're fellow workers for the kingdom of God, and they have been a comfort to me. Again, we don't know what their jobs were. We don't know what they did. We just know they were there, and they were part of the team, living for the Lord, living for the Lord together, sharing the good news about Jesus. And then you have, in verse 12, Epaphras, one who's already known to them. He's the one that's mentioned at the beginning of the letter. He's most likely the one who took the gospel to the Colossians in the first place, and they would have heard the good news through his word. And so that's why there's a lot more about him, right? That he's wrestling in his prayers for you, and he's worked hard for you, and in the surrounding cities. That's what Laodicea and Hierapolis are. They're the cities right there in the area, a little triangle. And he had taken the gospel to them, and he still loved them and cared for them and prayed for them and wanted them to be mature and fully assured in all the will of God. And just as a reminder for those who've been with us, the will of God in Colossians isn't like, what should I major in and who am I going to marry and that kind of stuff. It's what God has revealed, particularly about the good news in Jesus, that they would be fully assured and mature in what God has revealed as his will to save people from their sins through the sacrifice of his son. Then verse 14, Luke, the beloved physician, we kind of know about him. He wrote Luke and Acts, as does Demas. And so this is the fellow workers category. We'll talk about a couple of them in a couple of minutes. And then there's some greetings to those in Laodicea, that other church not far away. And that's the one we know from Revelation. That's the, you know, I'm going to spit you out of my mouth because you're lukewarm and uh, we'll go and do a spoiler alert. Revelation is starting January 28th. It's going to be lit. <laughs> so there's greetings to those in Laodicea sometime before the book of Revelation was written. And apparently there was also a letter already written to Laodicea because he says, hey, take this letter that I'm writing to you now, read that 
to them at their church and make sure you also read the letter from there. So there's a letter that has been lost to history that, again, if someone tries to tell you they know what it is, they don't because we don't know what it is. But it was a letter that existed that would have been read among the churches. And that's another way for us to think about being together and working together. It's not just we have fellow workers and we need each other, not just individual, but even as churches. There's news that's for us and for them, and we greet one another, and we give greetings on behalf of others to others still. So read the letter there, and then the word to Archippus, fulfill the ministry he's received in the Lord. We don't know whether he's in Laodicea or there's a switch back to the Colossians, because you go like, well, why would you need a special instruction to somebody if they're already there hearing it? It's like, well, maybe they needed to be called out a little bit. We don't know for sure. We just know there was a ministry he had received in the Lord, and it was his to fulfill. What's kind of the feeling we get here? And even in the closing, I, Paul, write this greeting with my own hand. That was kind of his signature. Um, Paul most likely didn't see very well, didn't write his own letters. So someone would, he would dictate them, someone would write it out, and then he would kind of write the last sentence or so. It's like, look, here I am. I'm writing with my own hand. Remember my chains, which most likely is a request for prayer, to remember where he is and what he is doing and what it's costing him to live for Christ. So if we're going to live a life that's all about Christ, we need each other and we need God's grace. As we serve Christ together, interdependence is essential. So what is interdependence? This is for the kids. Interdependence is different from independence, right? But it's not only dependence. And you're like, what is going on, right? Okay, if you depend on someone, you count on them, right? You need them. Like kids, you depend on your parents. You might think you are independent of them. You have your own thoughts. You can do your own things. And to some degree, they are raising you to be independent of them. But right now, most of you, especially if you're like under 18, you are legally and in many cases, quite literally, dependent on your parents, right? So what are we having for dinner? I don't know. You know, I know how to make stuff. It's like, oh, well, we don't have any food. It's like, oh, well, where did that come from? How does that work, right? It came from your parents providing that, planning for that, having that there for you. I want to go over and see my friends, and it's not walking distance. It's like, how are you going to get there? Either your parents or your friend's parents, right? You're dependent on them. You need them, okay? So that's dependence. Independence is, you know, when, when we say, yeah, America, right? It's like, we don't need England, and we're going to be on our own, all right? We got this. And that's something that is very valued in our American culture down to this very day, right? We're our own person. We can do our own things, but the idea of this text is that we are not independent. We are dependent. And the word interdependence means we are dependent on each other. Kind of like a few minutes ago when I was saying, like, well, if I'm helping somebody and they're in trouble, I'm just helping them. They need help. They're dependent on me, but I'm not dependent on them. But that's a lie. Interdependence means they need me and I need them. 
It means you need the person sitting on the other side from you. And the person on the other side, or even in the side room, needs you. You need them, and they need you. And so that's why interdependence is in here, and that's why interdependence is essential. It's not just Paul, and everyone needs him, and he kind of carries everything because he's great, right? It's that we all need each other as we are following Jesus. And we can be tempted both ways with this, right? Some of us think that we will never attain the spiritual level that others here have. Right? You've known Jesus for so long. You know so much of the Bible. You are so spiritual. I'm just totally dependent on you for my spiritual life. And there could never be anything that I could offer to you because I will never reach your level and I just need to learn from you. I'll never get there like those extra spiritual people. Some of us might, on the other side of that, think that our time for needing others is kind of in the past. We pretty much got it together. We know what it is to follow Jesus. We know the Bible. We know what we need to do. And, you know, most of the time, we do it. Definitely don't need somebody below me telling me about that. But that's a lie. No one reaches a state like that. Not in this life. I mean, some people reach a state like I just described, that attitude. (laughs) But not the actual experience of not needing other Christians. The truth is we need each other. We never, as long as we live, we never grow beyond our need for genuine, deep relationships with other believers. As an example from science of our interdependence, did you know that you need plants? And you guys are like, yes. I've studied science, come on. Right? And so you kids know, right? When we breathe in, what do we breathe in? Okay, oxygen. Great. Also air, that's fine. Just a little narrower, and most of you have that. Oxygen, right? So we breathe in oxygen, and then kids, what do we breathe out when we exhale? Carbon dioxide. If you were in a small area, and it was just being pumped with carbon dioxide, would that be good for you? Right? You ever feel that? I remember my aunt telling me when I was a kid, don't put your blanket over your head in the winter when it's cold. You're going to die. I don't think she was right about that. (laughs) But it left an impression. (laughs) And what was she trying to warn me against? You don't want to be in a small space where it's like, and you're like, ah, I can't breathe anymore. Why not? Well, all my air's here, right? It's like, no, you're breathing out something that's actually not good for you. How do plants work? What do plants like to breathe? Carbon dioxide. When plants, what comes out? Oxygen. Isn't it strange that after billions of years of evolution, (laughs) that things would just happen to work out? That the thing we need There's billions and billions of things around us giving us that. And the thing they need, there's billions of us giving to them. Strange, right? Weird. What a coincidence. We need plants, right? We need plants to breathe. We also need plants to have like a sense of life, 
right? And, and that's where we can be thankful to our first city planners here for planning parks, unlike what they did in New York City. And people were going absolutely insane because all they ever saw was building and pavement and nothing green. So it's like we need what the plants give us in more than one way. It's not just, well, that one way, but we can find a way to reproduce that in a lab, right? It's like, no, God made us as interdependent creatures. We need the earth, and the earth needs us as those who belong to Christ, who are dependent on him for life and breath and everything. We need each other. But there's a temptation when you're struggling. There's a temptation to isolate. I remember years ago trying to work with someone who's like, I do not have my life together. I'm so messed up in so many ways. I have these habits that I need to kick. I have this depression that needs to end. I'm just having a really hard time following Jesus. And when I get myself better, then I will show up to church. Because then I'll be like everyone else at church. (laughs) No, you're already like everyone else at church. (laughs) Right? (laughs) But those are the lies that we tell ourselves. And maybe even some of you are telling yourself even now. It's like, I know we say this, and it seems like this guy's been saying this a lot in the last few months as we're going through Colossians, and now we need Christ, and we want to live in him and for him, and like none of us reaches that state that I think most of the people here have attained, but I know that for sure I haven't. And we can think when I get it all together, when I look like I'm supposed to look, when I have things the way I should, then I'll be good enough to come to church. But as we sang earlier, it's not the good people who are welcomed. It's the ones who are lost. It's the ones who know they need a savior. It's not get yourself together so you're good enough to join us. It's come. Come to Christ. He is the one who gives you life. He is the one who makes you whole. But our culture kind of drives this home. Don't be dependent on anybody. Make sure you can take care of yourself. Get yourself together. Figure it out for yourself. (laughs) Even uh, some of you won't like this. Do your own research. I know. But when we isolate ourselves from the people of God, we often end up turning away from connection to God. He meant for us to experience relationship with him, yes, through his word, and with one another. It's true for us individually, and it's true for us as churches. These churches were to relate to each other, to help one another, to support and encourage one another, to pray for each other like Epaphras prayed for the Colossians, and like Paul has asked them to do for him. To work hard for each other, to exhort one another like Paul does for Archippus here. All right, pay attention, fulfill the ministry that the Lord himself has given you. Those are some of the things we do for each other. When we gather, when we meet together in homes, we encourage one another, we exhort one another, we pray for one another, we work hard to help one another stand mature, fully assured in all of God's will. So we need one another. And all of it, all of this stuff that we do with one another is for the Lord 
and in the Lord. That expression, in the Lord, was in there several times. Right? It's not just Archippus's ministry that he received in the Lord. Tychicus is a beloved brother, faithful minister, and fellow servant in the Lord. That's all of us. If you are in Christ, you are in the Lord. He's the place where you live your life. He is your life, both now and forever. So interdependence is essential, and then failure is not final. You say, how do you get that from here? I didn't see anything about failure in these verses. Well, if you know the rest of your New Testament, you know there's some real failure here. And that becomes good news for us too, because there's times we go, well, but these were super spiritual people. They always obeyed. They always spoke the gospel whenever there was an opportunity. They always prayed. Probably all they ever did was pray and tell people about Jesus. I can't do that. Well, let me tell you about a couple of these people whose names maybe you do know. Demas, who shows up in verse 14. He's just on the list. He sends you greetings. And he shows up on another list in just the same way in a letter that was going out at the same time. Demas, okay, he's there. But then Paul's last letter, 2 Timothy, in chapter 4, in the final greetings there, it's less, here's everybody who's with me, and more, everybody's gone. And in that one, Demas is singled out particularly. There's other ones that's like, oh, I sent him here, he went there, he left and went there. But he says, Demas has forsaken me, having loved this present world. So there's somebody on the list in Colossians, who a few years later, by the writing of 2 Timothy, Paul would say, Demas left. He forsook me. Now, there's a little bit of hope in there, I think, that it's he forsook me, like he left the ministry. It doesn't have to mean that he left Christ. I'd always grown up thinking, like, definitely he left Christ. It doesn't have to mean that, but it might. Right? Paul's assessment is he loved this present world more than he loved living for Christ with us, more than he loved doing what we were doing. But there's someone else in this story that Paul could have written that same kind of sentence about, and that's Mark. He's listed here in the early verses. Mark, the cousin of Barnabas. Like, okay, Mark. What do we know about Mark? Well, his mom hosted a house church in Jerusalem, and so he was around at the founding of the Jerusalem church at Pentecost, seeing God work. And he's Barnabas's cousin. Barnabas was the guy who went on that first missionary journey with Paul. Barnabas is the one who really vouched for Paul and tried to convince people when Paul makes this dramatic conversion, like killing Christians to like, now I'm one of you. And they're like, mm, I'm not sure about that. Barnabas is the one who said, he's the real deal. And vouched for him and said, let's, let's go. And took him with him to Antioch. And then from Antioch, they were sent out. And they went on a ministry tour together, preaching the gospel, suffering together, seeing people come to Christ. And when they went on that trip, they had a guy named John, who was also called Mark, who was with them. But then we learn that John left them and returned to Jerusalem. You're like, okay, well, he, he went back for some reason. But we learned that it was a bad reason in Acts 15. 
when Paul and Barnabas get together and it's like, hey, let's go out again. And Barnabas, who's the one who tends to vouch for people, see God's grace at work in people, says, hey, I got this great guy to take with us on our missionary trip, Mark. And Paul's like, yeah, we're not doing that. And the division between them was so strong that they ended up taking two different trips. That's right. They didn't go together because they couldn't agree over Mark. And I think Paul would have written something a lot like he wrote about Demas years later. He left. He loved this world more. He wasn't with us. He retreated from the work. He didn't go with us to the work. But now, in Colossians, years later, he says, Mark, the cousin of Barnabas, concerning whom you've received instructions, we don't know what those are, or maybe these are the instructions, if he comes to you, welcome him. And then in that last letter, in 2 Timothy 4, Paul says, get Mark and bring him with you, for he is very useful to me for the ministry. So you have one guy that we don't really know the end of his story, but Mark, we do know the end of his. And of course, he's the same Mark who wrote the gospel according to Mark. So the guy who wasn't good enough to go on the second trip because he abandoned them on the first trip becomes someone who writes part of the Bible. Somebody who by the end, Paul would say, he is, he is useful for ministry. He is a servant of the Lord. And what about us? Or you go, okay, you know, we're in Christ, we gotta live for Christ, but I really blew it again. I did something I know I ought not do. I fell into an old practice that I know is not what Christ would have for me. Am I done now? Like I, when I trusted in Christ, okay, I got up to this point and then now I'm down here and he won't have me back. That's not how it works, <laughs> which is really good news for us because what I just described is every single one of us. There are ways that every one of us this week has done things, said things we ought not to have done or said. We have left undone things we ought to have done or said. And Christ doesn't come to us and say, what's wrong with you? Get out of the way. I got to find somebody else. When we're convicted of our sin, when we realize our wrong and we turn again to him, trusting in him, asking him for forgiveness, John tells us in 1 John, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So even if this morning you're coming in and it's like, okay, I'm here but I'm not really very good at following Jesus and probably everybody else is. You can come to Christ. He will never turn you away. Every one of us is a failure at being a Christian. But Christ is the one who never fails. As we turn from our sin and trust in him, we share in his victory, not only in eternity, but even now. So for every one of us, we have the story that those being baptized are, are about to tell. I believe in Jesus. By his grace, I belong to Jesus. Not because of what I have done. 
not because of who I am or where I'm from, but because of him. I now, because I believe in him and belong to him, want to live for Jesus. And I need help with all of that. Help from the Holy Spirit and help from God's people, the church. Because as we seek to live for Christ, interdependence is essential. We need each other. And the time when you feel the most like, I can't be with anybody because I'm not good enough, that's the most when you need to be moving toward other people. Interdependence is essential. And failure is not final. So if you're feeling you're a failure as a Christian, come to Christ, the one who never failed and who is ready to forgive you and to restore you by his grace, for your joy, and for his glory. Let's pray. Oh God, thank you that the story is not we were pretty good and got a little push over the edge because none of us would make it. We thank you that we are forgiven fully and freely in Christ on the basis of his perfect life, sacrificial death, and powerful resurrection. So would you continue to meet with us as we celebrate together your work in saving people from their sins? And would you help each one of us if we're kind of thinking we can make it as a lone soldier to realize that we not only need you, we need one another. And that would you help the ones who feel like I've fallen and there's no chance of being restored to see the grace and heart of Jesus. God, would you do these things? Would you make them happen for us? In Jesus' name, amen.